Um, what was that? Dig into... No pun intended to dig into this. I, now, I love the parables of Jesus. Um, I think they're amazing. I think every time I read them, I see something new. Um, I'm confronted by something I don't like. Um, and all of that is really good for me. So I'm hoping that tonight, as we look at this parable, the same will happen for you. That there'll be some new things that you see, there'll be some things that challenge you and even some things that you don't like that will annoy you or agitate you and that you will just wrestle with them until you find peace, which I think is part of the purpose of Jesus' parables. That They weren't straightforward, they didn't always make sense and they were designed to unsettle those who would really listen to them. So if you walk away tonight feeling angry with me, tick all right, um, which is always a good thing. So, familiar with this? Read it before? Heard it preached a million times? Awesome. Now this trend, oh yeah, everyone's just looking up the screen. I'm reading out of uh, N.T. Wright's translation, which doesn't really mean anything, it's just a translation. Parable of the Weeds, Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Jesus put another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven, he said, is like this. Once upon a time, a man sowed good seed in his field. While the workers were asleep, his enemy came and sowed weeds in among the wheat and went away. When the crop came up and produced wheat... Then the weeds appeared as well. So the farmer's servants came to him. Master, they said, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where have the weeds come from? This is the work of an enemy, he replied. So the servants said to him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he replied. If you do that you'll probably pull up the wheat as well while you're collecting the weeds. Let them both grow together until the harvest. Then, when it's time for harvest, I will give the reapers this instruction. First, gather the weeds and tie them up in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. How's that sound to you? Sound all right? Sounds what? Sensible. sensible. Oh, sounds sensible. It probably does sound sensible. Who's a, who's, a, who's a farmer? No one. You like gardening. What do you do with weeds, Alira? You do a lot of weeding. The problem with uh, weeds, if you let them go to seed, is... There's a whole lot more weeds. So it doesn't actually make a whole lot of agricultural sense, but Jesus wasn't a farmer. He was a carpenter, so maybe we'll just give him a bit of leeway uh, <laughs> on, his, on his farming. All right, so here we have one of these parables, which is a story that's teaching us something about the nature of the kingdom. So this is to tell us something about the way that God works, the way that God does things, the way that the kingdom is, and the way that when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying in line with this parable. Like, like your kingdom is in this parable, we're praying this into being. So 
this is kind of important for us to hear, if we have ears to hear, what it is that Jesus is trying to, to lead us into in regards to the kingdom. So he's trying to teach us something about the kingdom. And primarily, I suppose, this parable, maybe, maybe more than some of the others, really confronts the issue of good and evil in the world. And it confronts and poorly answers, in a way, all those questions of, if God is good, then why does X, Y, Z happen? So this, this parable is kind of one of Jesus's unsatisfactory responses to that question. Well, I, I say it's unsatisfactory. I'll let you decide if you find it satisfactory yourself. But I'm not saying Jesus is unsatisfactory. Hear me right. I'm not having a dig. I'm just saying that, you know, you know, when, you know, often people went to Jesus and asked him questions. He just never really gave a straight answer. It's a bit like that. Okay. So we have this parable, and what I want to do is I just want to go through it for you, picking out a few things that um, might help us dig into this and understand it, and then we'll see where we end up. And again, like I said, if you want to say something or ask a question, feel free to do that. Okay, so maybe, Oren, if you go back to the beginning, let's go through this bit by bit and see what it has to say. Okay, so the first thing you need to know is just the basic, pictures of this parable. So number one, the man who is sowing the seed is God um, or Jesus. The fields that he's sowing the seed in, in one of the translations, in, in the Greek this word is often, the translation for this is cosmos, not field but later on when Jesus explained this parable he uses the word cosmos. So when he's talking about the field he's not just talking about the kingdom is sown in one particular place here over there but it's like the whole cosmos is the sown field of the kingdom. Um, so it's kind of very cosmic in its you know, impressions. And the good seed that is sown in this field are the people of the kingdom. So God is talking about the people of the kingdom that are sowed in the world by God. So God does that and for all intents and purposes, it seems like the farmer expects that seed will just do what seed does, which is grow. Um, there doesn't seem to be any uh, fighting to keep the seed alive, no worrying by the farmer to, to do anything, no great effort to keep the seed alive. God sows the seed, the seed does what seed does, which is grow. During the night... When everyone is asleep, now let's point this out, no farmer stays awake all night, do they? Like that's, so you, you could say, oh, well, what was the farmer doing when the enemy came in and sowed the seed? Well, duh, he was sleeping because even the best of farmers in normal habits sleep, right? Now, I'm not saying that God sleeps, but in the parable, it's sort of, it's, it's, not, it's not malpractice on God's part, okay? So while the workers are asleep, actually doesn't say that while the man was asleep. It says while the workers were asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds in among the wheat and went away. So just like God doesn't seem to need to worry about the good seed growing, neither does the enemy need to worry about the weeds growing. He just seems to sow his weeds and go away and the work is done. That in a way I think teaches us something about the nature of evil in our world that evil in some sense is self-perpetuating, doesn't need a whole lot of attention, but seems to thrive by its own intention. So an enemy comes and sows um, 
weeds. At first, when all this stuff starts to grow, there doesn't seem to be much of a difference between the wheat and the weeds until um, the sprouting and the fruiting happens. Now, you probably can't quite read that in your translation. In, in, in our translation here, it says when the crop came up. But some of those Greek words indicate when the fruit, like when it became fruitful. So when the, you know, the, the wheat got its seedy bits on the end. You know, have you seen wheat? Yeah, like when that happened, it became obvious that everything this farmer planted wasn't wheat. There were some weeds in here. So then it's like, there is something wrong with this crop. So it wasn't until the fruit became obvious that it was obvious that there were some weeds, which, you know, if you, it should have echoes for you of some of Jesus' other teaching, which says, you will know a tree by its fruit. So trees are trees. Do you know if it's a good tree or a bad tree? You'll know it by its fruit. A little bit here, wheat and weeds, they look very similar. In fact, the word for, for weeds that Jesus used is darnel, which actually looks heaps like wheat. It's like long grassy stuff, looks a lot like wheat. So very similar looking, but when it comes to fruitfulness, it's obvious one is wheat and one is weeds. So you can tell by the fruit. When the servants see this, they come to the farmer, who is God, and what do they say? Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? So where have the weeds come from? It's, it's like the servants are indignant at the fact that there are weeds in the field. And what do they essentially do is but question the reputation of the farmer. Didn't you sow good seeds? Like, like indicating that maybe this farmer was dodgy, bought bad seed and, or just bought contaminated seed and was a bit useless in his, his farming. Or maybe he, you know, from last, I don't know, whatever, he was just not a great farmer. Maybe he didn't sow great seeds. That's, the, that's the, the kind of sense of this, the servants coming to God and say, didn't you? And I think, how many of us, in our wrestling with good and evil and the problems of it in the world, have we ever said to God, God, if you are good, then why? I thought you said this world is good, so why is this happening? Like, that's, that's a very relevant question in our day and age too. Come on, farmer, God, I thought you were sowing good seed. So where have the weeds come from? And God's response was simply, an enemy did this. In other words, I've got nothing to do with this evil. This is where the unsatisfactory response for me comes along. I mean, it's a good answer. But, you know, when I'm, you know, in... At times in my life when I've been frustrated with injustice or my own like problems or the problems of the world, I want to have God to have a better answer than an enemy did this. It's like, come on. <laughs> but anyway, that's the only answer that Jesus seems to give us. Then these well-meaning servants say, so... Do you want us to go and pull up all these weeds? In other words, these workers are going to get on their indignantness, their violence, their passion, their energy, and they are going to go out in this farmer's field and they are ready 
to pull up all the weeds and get rid of all of this evil and just deal with it on behalf of the farmer. They're ready to go. They know what they're going to do. They're intolerant, aggressive, and they think that a violent response to the problem of evil is the best way forward. Come on, we'll go do this for you, farmer God. We will root out evil from this world. And the farmer says, no. No, it's actually not that simple. It's actually not as black and white as what you might imagine. Because while you're all passionate and energetic and getting your weeding on, you might actually pull up some of the wheat as well. And so God says no. Kind of indicating, yeah, the things aren't black and white. And I mean, when you think about it, I mean, this wheat and this darn all look quite similar. How do we know that they won't accidentally pull out the wheat? And when you're putting this kind of analogy onto us and our world, at what point am I wheat or what point am I weeds? Because there's some weeds in me and there's also some wheat. So do I want God to come along and, like, how, how does that work? And how does that work in our communities? Because... What if while they're pulling out the weeds as we see them, we misunderstand what's wheat? It gets messy, right? Basically, it gets messy. It gets messy if we're taking this approach to evil. It's possible, I think, that people with good intentions but who are impatient and a bit passionate can actually do more harm than good. That's kind of what the farmer's getting at here. Like you might have a lot of energy and you might have a lot of passion and you might want to go and do a whole lot of things on my behalf, but actually maybe you just need to be a bit patient. Maybe it's not as simple as what you think. In a way, this parable pushes us towards one of the big natures of the kingdom and that is patience. If these workers aren't going to go straight out and pull out all the weeds and get rid of all the evil, then what's left for them to be is patient while the whole thing grows. Patient for harvest time when the reapers are actually going to go and sort out this. And I don't know about you, but I can be frustrated more than I can be patient, especially with good and evil, the kingdom, and all those sorts of things. And I, so I feel, I feel a lot like a servant, like these servants. Sometimes in my kind of relationship with God, I can get my passion on, I can get my indignance on at, at evil, and I can decide to make it right. And possibly in doing that, I sometimes do more harm than good. So God says, no, it's more complicated than what you think. While you're off being passionate, you might actually do some damage. Instead, God says, let them both grow together until harvest. Now, this is where this parable for me gets really interesting because that word, let, let them both grow together, or and if you flick up the next slide... 
This word, let, is actually the Greek word, aphiti, which comes from the derivative, for those of you language buffs, aphemi. I'm not saying this right, I'm not Greek, so just take my word for it. This word, aphemi, has two meanings. The first one is to send away, to let go, to leave, or to permit. So the, the translators of this parable obviously chose let, let them grow, both grow together, but they could have also said leave them both to grow together, permit them both to grow together. Like there, it could have been a whole bunch of choices for this word. The translators of the New Testament translate aphemi as send away, let go, leave or permit 52 times out of 156 times. But the other meaning of that word is forgive, which is translated 47 out of 156 times, about 50-50 in a way. It's translated let or forgive. What's that? I know, because there's a whole bunch of there's other ways. Yeah, I know there is gaps. But, you know, like, I don't know if you've ever looked in, like, the Bible. These kinds of things are, like, the main word, the main word, about 56 other translations that make up the rest. So, anyway, 50-50 in some senses, they could have said, let them grow together, permit them both to grow together, or forgive them both to grow together. So, interestingly, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, Affees our debts as we also affemen our debtors. Jesus on the cross says, Father, affemi them. So when the people were hearing this parable, now remember they were hearing it in their language, they would have picked up the connection, most probably, of this word popped in the middle of this parable, where Jesus, in answer to, are we going to go out and pull it all up and deal with it? Jesus says, aphemi, let them both grow together. Or possibly, in other words, forgive the weeds. That's our response to evil. Forgive. The malice, the evil, the badness that is manifest in the real world and in the lives of real people is not to be dealt with by attacking or abolishing the things or persons in whom it dwells. Rather, it is to be dealt with only by an ephesus, by a letting be that is a forgiveness, that is a suffering, that is even a permission all rolled into one. This, this challenges me. I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel challenged because if we're talking about the evil in the world and especially, actually, let's be honest, the evil I perceive done to me, um, I don't want to aphesis. I want to get my weeding gear on and get out there and sort this out. Like that, that's generally my response to the things like that. It's not let it be, forgive it, permit it. It's like get on and get dirty. But 
I think in this parable, Jesus is pushing us towards some of the nature of the kingdom. That when it comes to the kingdom, when it comes to thy kingdom come, thy will be done. When it comes to God who has sown good seed in his good fields and an enemy came in the middle of the night and sowed weeds and we're not really sure what's weeds or what's wheat until the fruit comes, that Jesus' best advice for us is forgive. And if anything is to be said by how Jesus died with a Femi on his, on his lips, he did the very thing we're talking about. He could have called down legions of angels to sort out the evil that was being done to him, but instead he chose a Femi. And I think that's a real challenge for us because I don't really like a Femi. I like all kinds of other things along activism, revenge, fairness, justice, like, you know, that's what I like rather than a Femi. Sure enough, by the end of this parable, Jesus really does indicate that in the end, there will be a sorting. And when the reapers come, the weeds will be gathered and burned and the wheat will be gathered and put into the barn. So kind of in effect, I think it's pushing us to go, okay, at some point beyond, at the end of this age, there is a judgment and the weeds and the evil will be dealt with. But our response in this day and age, at best, is a thesis. Forgive. Forgive the evil done to us. Forgive the evil we see. Forgive. Now, this doesn't mean we don't. Uh, protect, stand up for what is right. Um, we don't lie down and let the weeds grow everywhere. I think this is where discipleship comes in. Like how do you balance like a forgiveness and forgiving along with not just lying down and letting evil run rampant everywhere? And that's where, you know, you can't preach on these things because it's case by case wrestling with Jesus, walking as you go. Let me give you an example of something that happened um, to me this week. Actually, it happened to Lexi. Funny that you're here, Lexi. I'll get to hear your story. Is that all right? Yeah, what story? Your basketball story. <laughs> so this is a very day-to-day -day example of to a female or not. Lexi plays basketball under 10's unisex. Are you any good, Lexi? Is your team any good? That's a no for those who can't see. Um, usually you lose, don't you? And... If Lexi's team can score more than 10 points, it's a good day, isn't it? Um, so Lexi's playing basketball Tuesday afternoon against an all-boys team. They're all probably close to the maximum age for this comp and they're all really good. Like if they could dunk, these kids are like in your face, man. Like they are as punkish as 10-year-old boys can get. And you're playing on the big court, aren't you? You're playing on the Hawks court. It's, it's a big deal. So about halfway through the first half, the score is probably about 25 to 2. Lexi's team had got one basket. It's really good. So what the other team started to do, obviously, because they're flogging Lexi's team. Mind you, there's four girls on Lexi's team and two boys. One of these girls, if she hits 
one metre, I'd be impressed. She's tiny, isn't she? Anyway, so they're having the best of goes against this punk-ass 10-year-old boys team. Halfway through the first half, when the score is almost a blowout, these boys decide to kind of be fair. And what they mean by that is they're going to pass the ball around a couple of times before they take a basket, just basically to slow down their slogging. So they start to do that. But what quickly happens is that they start to just pass the ball around not three times, not ten times, but 20 times. And the entire sideline on their side of the court is counting. One, two. So it's like, our, like Lexi's team are all like seven and got no idea what's going on. I've got no idea what's going on. This is like chanting from the sideline for this team that's like flogging them. And so one of our mums goes over to the opposing team and just says, oh, look, can we tone it down a bit? To which the coach of this boys team responds, um, if you want to talk like that, we can take it outside. Like... <laughs> <laughs> she comes back a little bit rattled and tells her husband, who is our kids' coach, which starts an intercoach non ephesis Let's just put it that way. The whole game stops while this is being worked out by the uh, basketball stadium and the court controllers, and our kids don't know what's going on. It gets to the point where our coach is evicted from the stadium. <laughs> This, we haven't even hit half time yet. So, under 10s, under 10s. So our coach is evicted from the stadium. His wife is crying, his kid is crying and the rest of our team have just got no idea what's going on. The play continues after half time and these 10-year-old boys have obviously been told by their coach, no mercy, flog them. So f these four girls and this one boy who are trying their best but got no idea get flogged by this boy team. If they, they hardly got the ball across half court. They just pressed up on them. I don't know if you know the basketball game. They pressed up. If I remember the, there was a couple of times when little little girl, all of like five, like three foot, gets the ball. All five of these 10-year-old boys surround her. She's there. <laughs> you can't even see past them, let alone throw the ball. And we obviously can't say anything about this because there's already been a parental dispute and an eviction. So... Do you remember what the final score was, Lexi? 78 to 4. We did get another one. We did get another one. That was, it was a miracle that we actually got another three. So anyway, needless to say, there is a lot of outrage on behalf of the parents of the four-point side. And actually, the icing on the cake for me was when this entire boys team then posed in front of the scoreboard with their coach with muscles flexed like this to take a snapshot of the flogging. And while our girls are just like, anyway. So how do you efface us in this situation? <laughs> you know, this is, this, this is where the rubber hits the road for all of us, isn't it? Because there wasn't much ephesis from our coach, and fair enough, his wife got you know, challenged by someone. But what's the response we have when we see this? I mean, this is a funny 10-year-old unisex basketball game response. But you, you face, we've all faced things like this. And so I, I think, you know, for me and for Lexi, the response is, 
you have to forgive these boys. They're punks. They don't really know what fairness is. They're working it out. They've been egged on by parents who should know better. We have to forgive the parents too. But I did write a rather choice feedback form to the stadium. Not being aggressive towards any person, but saying some things about fairness, about girls in sport, about macho male culture, and how the stadium can improve unisex competitions for our young girls to encourage them to be still playing basketball as they grow. So it's like this tension. I know, I was really kind of proud of my email. But this is the tension, isn't it? Because it's so easy for me. I, I, don't, I just want to punch these kids. And that's not right. And I, you know, I know that's not right. But, you know, I, I don't know, parents, you know that injustice that rises up in you? You know that feeling for all of us that rises up. But this isn't about kids. And this isn't even really about adults. I mean, this is about the enemy who sows the weeds, and God who would just say, Ephesus, that's your best response. Every time we rile up, the other side is just going to rile up more and we just end up in a muddy field of mess, don't we? So that in all of our responses to evil in the world, in all of our responses to the weeds, it's a discipleship day by day wrestling with Jesus, you taught us to Ephesus, to forgive, to let it be, to permit. But how do I do this? and still maintain a sense of justice and equality and fairness? How do I stand up for what is right without going too far into like, I'm going to dig up all the weeds and like, I'm going to deal with this on your behalf, God. Like somehow in this parable, it gives us a picture of a God who doesn't seem to mind that his reputation as a farmer is quite tarnished. When everyone looks at this field and says, oh my goodness, farmer, God, how can you let this be? God just doesn't seem to mind too much about his reputation. He kind of just says, let it be, I'll sort it out in the end. And I find that a huge challenge for me in my life, in my struggles to forgive, in my struggles to walk a path of justice and mercy, of love and forgiveness, of, of protection, and as well as just knowing how to not assign the evil to the person. Ah, this is the challenge we find. Let me read out this last quote. I think I've got... Do I have it, Oren? Maybe I do. I didn't write it this down, so... Okay. We who live after Calvary and Easter know that God did indeed act suddenly and dramatically at that moment. When today we long for God to act, to put the world to rights, we must remind ourselves that he has already done so and that what we are now awaiting is the full outworking of those events. We wait with patience, not like people in a dark room wondering if anyone will ever come with a lighted candle but like people in early morning who know that the sun has arisen and are now waiting for the full brightness of midday. This is how we be as God's people in the world. We know that the light has dawned and the light is coming to full brightness and we wait with patience. Yeah? 
How about we pray? You can say, yes, yeah, say something. I did say you could be interactive. Can you put the previous um, slide up, Oren? I was just thinking when Caro was talking, when this, particularly when the sec, that sec, can you put that other slide up that was before this? Oh, is that it? Oh, no, 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 you were on it, sorry. Go back. Sorry, okay. When it, she got to this bit, I was thinking, I, I actually am a trained counsellor, as most of you know, I was thinking about counselling, and I was thinking about what good training this is for counsellors. Because we're all full of weeds. And we all, um, forget the counselling bit now, but when you're talking with people and you know that the stuff that needs to be healed or needs to be moved on from, whatever it is, there's that sense of let it be. God will do the work. And we're full of weeds and we need to be able to forgive ourselves when we just cannot get over it or we cannot let it go. Uh, or, you know, the healing seems to be taking forever. We can really just blame ourselves for it and feel bad, but we need to be able to aphesis our own self, our own weaknesses and our own weeds and allow God to just garden in our heart and the sun will shine and the rain will come and eventually we'll have a breakthrough. And so that's some of the stuff I was thinking of as you were talking and bringing it more personal. That's great. Does anyone else want to say something? <laughs> oh, they were not, no, no, no. I stayed right out of it. I was like, because I'm actually practicing, um, I'm practicing uh, becoming more assertive in life slowly. And I just knew it was not a good thing for me to go <laughs> anywhere near this. That's <laughs> Jill, did you want to say something? Hang on, let me get the mic to you because it's like... I don't know how many of you guys have seen the Hunger Games movies, but like there's more than one. So the, the second one, without spoiling it for anyone. <laughs> Seriously, guys, it's been 10 years now. No, um, but just there was a quote, like, you know, the idea is that they're in an arena and only one person can survive and therefore you've got to actually kill all your opponents or hope that someone else kills them. In the second movie, there's like a subplot where they're trying to form alliances and one character is just about to get killed by another one and he says to her, remember who the enemy is. It's not me. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a bigger thing happening here. Remember who the enemy is. And it's, it's so true. Like even those these intensely frustrating things we come through, encounter in everyday life, and sometimes like bigger, huge, hurtful things, they're still just distractions. They're still just people on people. Um, and not that that makes it okay, but yeah, it's the enemy. It's that, that puppet master behind the whole thing that wants to, us to become less Christ-like and to focus on these little things, even these big little things, rather than the, the bigger picture. And I think that, you know, is totally in like the workers, who I think on some level, are we the seed growing in the field? Are we the workers? I don't know what we are. We can be either. But there is this thing where like the, we say to God, God, fix it now. But God's playing the long game because it's not about the weeds. It's about the enemy that sowed the weeds. So he knows that he's going to win a victory over the enemy, but the weeds can wait. 
And we need to remember that sometimes when we're encountering stuff in our world, that, that, that the victory has already happened and God will one day make it right. And so we let the, he lets the weeds grow because he'll sort it out in the end. Um, what I'd love us to do, because I actually had written down, Linda, about the weeds in us. I know. So you're so like on it. On the same page. Um, yeah, I do think, as I was preparing this, I was thinking about the distinct lack of forgiveness we give ourselves for our own weeds. Recognising that in our own hearts and in our own lives, we are full of wheat and also weeds. And that we can often take a violent or want to, God to take a violent or a fantastic, like decisive response to what's going on in us but and sometimes God does and sometimes we wait but I think it is important for us to hold in our own hearts and in our own lives a thesis forgiveness a trust in the timing of the Lord a trust in the expert gardener a trust that God knows what he's doing and then I think about our relationships with those closest to us and the weeds we encounter in one another. <laughs> and so how often we like to just say, especially to our good friends or our husbands and wives or our children, here, just sit still, let me pick out the weeds from your life, those weeds that I don't like. And God would challenge us to a thesis for us not to be the weeders but to let God be the gardener. And then the challenge of the weeds of our world and the give and the take of how we as God's people practice a posture of forgiveness while not allowing the enemy to run rampant in our world. And those are good conversations to have as followers of Jesus, especially in your unique settings, in your families, in your workplaces, in your sporting teams, in your day-to-day life. How do we practice the letting go while still doing the justice thing? They're good tensions for us to hold. So can I just pray for us and maybe I'll just lead, lead us in a little time where we can just bring our weeds before God. Father God, I thank you for this parable thank you that it still speaks to us today, that it agitates us today, that it heals us today, that it leads us towards patience and trust in you. And Father God, we bring ourselves before you this afternoon and we just say, God, that we know that mixed up in our lives is a whole bunch of wheat, good seed, and probably some weeds. God, teach us how to forgive ourselves. Maybe you just want to ask God if there is a part 
of your life where he would want to say to you, forgive, let it be, trust me. God, for all the times we've energetically pulled weeds out of other people's lives, forgive us. Give us eyes that see the wheat in one another, not just the weeds. Give us the patience to allow good fruit to grow. And God, help us to forgive one another to let one another be. And God, we pray for our world. God, the weeds, ugh, it just can either seem overwhelming or passion-inducing and there's so much that we would say, God, do it now. Oh, and we pray your kingdom come, your will be done. But God, you teach us to forgive. So may we trust you with the end game. May we trust that one day you will sort it out and teach us in the meantime the tension or just holding the, the tension of forgiving and not letting evil run rampant. Help us not to call one another evil but to know that there is an enemy that has sowed the weeds. And God, help us to resist him. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Wheat and weeds. It's good. Well, bless you all. Have a great week.